0: Josiah and Jonathan, and we've got a daughter, Abigail, Sophia. One of my great joys is getting to watch them love Jesus and love church. Um, The reality, though, is that Josiah, Jonathan, and Sophia are very, very different. They always have been. Um, Maybe you parents have observed that with your own kids, that they are nothing like each other. It's amazing that three kids raised in the exact same household by the same parents can be so wildly different from each other. Jonathan, our, our middle son, is an easy child to parent. He is sweet, he is gentle, and he has a tender spirit. He, he can't stand it if, if anyone is mad at him. As a little kid, he, he didn't require a lot to discipline him. If we looked at him the wrong way then he would start crying. And if he actually got sent to his room, then it was a tragedy. Jonathan was quick to obey and follow instructions. And I'll be honest, with our middle son, we felt like we were the world's greatest parents. But we also have Josiah and Sophia. And I think that's a good spot to stop this morning and pause. It's Mother's Day. Um, Tina is a great mom. She is raising three incredible kids who love her and love Jesus. And as a dad, I couldn't ask for anything more. And while Jonathan is compliant, Josiah and Sophia are extremely strong-willed. Jonathan requires very little discipline, and Josiah and Sophia test every bit of patience that we've got. We have tried and we have tried, and it seems like we can't find a good punishment that actually works. Um, One day when Josiah was probably about four or five, um, he had done something wrong, and so I spanked him. Now, listen, before you call CPS or label us as child abusers, listen, we were raised by parents in a generation that if you told your kid to do something, then you expected them to do it, right? Right. If they did wrong, then you didn't put them in timeout, you didn't take away their iPad, you spanked them, right? Because that's just what good parents did. Um, That's what good parents did to raise obedient children. Now, we, we didn't abuse them, we didn't beat them, we spanked them. And right after I gave Josiah a couple of swats, he turned around at me, he looked at me dead in the eyes, and he said, that didn't hurt. And then started to laugh. Now listen, kids, if you're in here, I suggest you don't do that. The best thing is you wail and cry at the least bit of punishment. It'll work way better for you. You see, Josiah and Sophia love to live on the edge. They love to see how far they can push the boundary. Which is interesting because if I tell Sophia to go to bed... Then all of a sudden, she starts crying because I hurt her feelings. I spend half of my time with Sophia trying to figure out why she's crying now. Anyway, just a few weeks ago at our egg hunt, here at the church, um, and, and listen, I know this probably makes us terrible, terrible parents, and so you can pass judgment on us if you want, um, but we pretty much just let our kids roam around. We have free-range kids, um, and then that's kind of terrible because there was over a 1,000 people here on our campus, but here, here's kind of what we're looking at is everybody knows our kids. It's easy to spot our kids, and, and everyone helps kind of keep an eye out on them. And several times throughout the day, we would check and make sure that we could put our eyes on them to make sure that they were there. And then all of a sudden, Sophia was gone. Tina and I both looked, and we couldn't find her. After about a minute or two of looking, panic began to set in. Sophia was nowhere to be found. We began to loudly call her name out and, and frantically looking. Some of you helped us look for her. Um, we even had Jermaine call her name out over the PA system to, to get her attention. And the entire time, Sophia was with one of our teenagers and was just giggling and laughing and having a blast. She didn't realize she was lost, but we couldn't find her. But can I tell you, Tina was frustrated because she wasn't where she was supposed to be tina put her there and said hey stay right here i'll be right back and then when she went back she wasn't there as a parent when your child is lost you begin to think of all the things that could have happened when you find them a proper response might even be to cry not tears of sorrow because they were lost but tears of joy because they were found have you ever been there Have you ever lost someone or something that was important to you? Um, In Tina's and I's first year of marriage, um, we had taken the youth group to a natural spring-fed swimming hole. And there was a bridge that was about five five feet on top of the water um, that stretched the entire length. And so people would play king of the bridge. And so the goal is to push people off. The last one standing is the one who wins. Well, being at that time... 64 315 pounds I was an easy target because all of our scrawny boys were like let me push Pastor Jason off and prove that I'm that much stronger than him and I don't know about you but I'm a little bit competitive anybody competitive in here and so I would square my feet up get a low base and I was not letting them push me and I'd already pushed like six or seven of our kids in and then one of our guys Reached out to grab my hand, and his goal was he was gonna fall in the water, and as he fell to pull me in. That was his goal. He was an idiot that he thought he could do that. But, anyways, as he did that, I shucked my hand away, and my wedding band fell off. It was about ten feet deep, and it was a sandy bottom. We searched and searched for about 20 minutes and never did find it somewhere at the bottom of of Lake Tawakoni is or Tawakoni is is a wedding band as a young married man with less than a year under my belt that was not a conversation that I was looking forward to having with my wife but all is good She kind of shrugged her shoulders, and and if she was upset, she didn't show it. She said, it happens because it's an accident. It's not like I took it off and chucked it out there, you know. Um, But then about a year or so later, um, we were celebrating Josiah's first birthday. Um, It was a huge deal, and we had a ton of people over at our house. And for about three months at that point, Tina and I had hit a rough patch in our marriage didn't mean that we didn't love each other, but we just hit a rough patch. If you've been married, you know what I'm talking about. Um, it just, it's a time when you're doing everything you can to stay married and everything you can to love the person and not stab them in the neck. You guys know what I'm talking about? We don't stab people in the neck if we don't like them. But, but, but we were doing everything we could to love each other because we knew that we wanted to make our marriage work, right? Just because it's hard doesn't mean we give up. At the end of the party, Tina realized that she no longer had her wedding ring on her finger somehow in the midst of the day and all the hustle and bustle it had come off man she tore the house up looking for this wedding ring she looked in the laundry room in the kitchen i think she even looked in the dishwasher which she didn't wash dishes that day so i don't know why she looked there man she looked in our bedroom she looked in the closet she looked through her drawers we went into the to the the living room and she got my mom to help, and so they were taking couch cushions off and finding all kinds of stuff except for her ring. Didn't find it. That evening, after having searched and searched, she'd pretty much just given given up hope that she'd ever find the ring again. So in the midst of that, she prayed this simple prayer. She said, God, I want my marriage to work. And I really need help finding that ring. Because for her, it wasn't about the ring. It was about the symbology of the ring. She said, God, help me find it. We had a sectional couch, and she was sitting over here. And I was leaned up next to her. You know, like people in love do. You sit with each other, right? Some of you haven't sat with your spouse in, in months or years, right? So we, we were doing that, and all of a sudden she looks up, and she goes, hey, what's that? And right over there, our, our couch had square foot post, and right there there was just a small glimmer. And we found a ring. We had looked there, and it wasn't there. I believe that that day God used that to show us that he was restoring the marriage. See, she felt like God truly answered her prayer. There was a celebration that day because the lost was found. Man, I hate losing stuff. It drives me crazy. How about you? Man, according to the lost and found survey released by Pixie, Americans spend $2.7 billion every year replacing items that they have lost. It's a lot of money. 45% of us lose the remote at least once a week. Now, just a show of hands, how many of you guys lost the remote this week? It's about 40%, pretty much straight on. 71% lose it monthly, making it the most lost item that there is. Next comes phones at 33%. Man, the best one that I've ever seen, um, and I'm going to tell myself on this one, I was looking for my phone While I was talking to someone, anybody else ever done that? Good, I'm not the only moron in here. Glasses, twenty-seven percent. Now, how many of you with glasses have ever looked for your glasses, and they were sitting on the top of your head all the time? Look, people are ratting people out, pointing at people. Shoes, twenty-four percent of people lose their shoes. Now, I think this number is low because if you talk to every parent, I think that number is 100%, right? Or you send your kids, hey, go find your shoes. I don't know where they are. That's why I said find, right? Just good. We're not the only ones that have this conversation. Wallets and purses, 20%. That's one out of five, At least one out of five people loses something important every single week. Survey also found that the average American spends 2.5 days a year looking for misplaced stuff. That's 60 hours. 60% of people have been late to school or work looking for, because they were looking for lost items. My guess is it's probably the car keys, You know, because even though you've got a spot for them by the door, they never go there. And the average search for a lost item takes about 5 minutes and 20 seconds. I wish I could find stuff that quick. The other day, um, I love ice cream, and so I was going to make myself a bowl of ice cream, and I took the ice cream out of the fridge, and I sat it down to go get me a bowl and a spoon. And you know what I lost? The ice cream. Our kitchen is not huge. And I looked and I, it took me about five minutes to finally find the ice cream. And it was right where I said it. Um, and I felt like an incredible idiot. Um, man, maybe you saw the article a few months ago, the 50 most unique items that have been left in an Uber car. Um, and there were some things that made the list. And, and I just picked a few of them that I thought were hilarious. And I would just love to know the story. Um, the first one was there was an eight week old coffee colored chihuahua. Now, listen, I can understand losing your kid, but how do you lose your dog? Who lose? Why? Why? A full set of 18 karat gold teeth. You know, at some point, I think you go. Uh, I think I'm missing something. <laughs> Apparently not. A professional-grade hula hoop. By the way, did you guys even know that there's such thing as a professional-grade hula hoop? Um, yeah, there are. There are actually professional-grade hula hoops. I have no clue. It makes them professional-grade. Do we have any professional hula hoopers in here? Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, but, yeah, um, I was shocked that there were actually professional-grade hula hoops. There was a black and white tuxedo for a small dog. Why? Do dogs have formal parties if they go to? Was was somebody, see, apparently you guys know something I don't. Was somebody taking their dog to prom? I don't know what was going on. This one baffles me, a propane tank. This one made me laugh. A, a full fish tank, complete with fish and water in it. You know, somebody probably should have told them it's easier to get back from the store if you carry the fish in the bag, and then you fill the tank later, but you know. Um, I don't even know what to say about this next one. Deer antlers and a welding helmet. <laughs> Left in the same car... By the same passenger. What in the world were they going to do with these things? Like, I just like that's one of those that I just go, why? I, I wish I could have seen what they were doing. Man, it's amazing the things that people forget and lose. Right? Some of it's ridiculous. But when you lose something that's important to you, you stop everything. Nothing matters more than what is lost. When you finally find it, you you have this immediate sense of relief and joy. Today I want to share with you one of my all-time favorite lost and found stories. It's a story, really it's two stories that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. First, let me set the stage. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, the the Pharisees were the religious police of the day. They developed a complex set of rules that weren't found in Scripture that people were required to memorize and follow in order to prove that they were worthy and holy. See, the Pharisees were religious snobs who looked down on everyone else as less than and not worthy. You see, Jesus ignored prejudice, pressure, and ridiculous rules. Jesus taught that God's love is available to anyone, not just educated rule followers. As you might imagine, the Pharisees did not like Jesus. Jesus talked to people that didn't know the rules, the sinners. Jesus spent time with the most hated people of the day, tax collectors. And Jesus touched people that he wasn't supposed to touch, he healed people that he wasn't even supposed to notice, and he loved people who were considered unclean and unworthy. And the Pharisees muttered about him. Now, muttered isn't really a word that we use much anymore, but it means that they griped and they complained underneath their breath. If you have a teenager, you have probably had a teenager mutter at you. Hopefully not. People are looking at each other. Now listen, this isn't the point of of my message, but there's something to learn here. Listen, if you are like Jesus, then people are going to mutter about you. That's part of the deal. You're going to be criticized. The gossips will have their way. If it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to you. Now, although the Pharisees were just muttering, they weren't accusing out loud. Jesus knew what they were thinking and saying. His response wasn't defensive. He didn't offer an explanation or an excuse. And instead, Jesus just told a story. Jesus' story answers one of life's big questions Does God really know? Does he care? How can he know and care about one person when there are billions of people on the planet? Maybe you're here or you're watching online live today and you feel lost and you feel insignificant. It seems that no one cares, not even God. This story's for you. Verse 3 Then Jesus told them this parable Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, sheep and shepherds were familiar to Jesus' listeners. A shepherd with a hundred sheep was a wealthy shepherd. What kind of smart businessman would leave 99 sheep in the open country where they could be stolen or killed to search for one that was missing? The sheep that wanted the way deserved to be left to die, right? It should have known better. It's better to sacrifice one than losing them all, right? And so the listening Pharisees immediately understood Jesus wasn't talking about a missing lamb. They were familiar with the first words of the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. The metaphor as God as shepherd was well established. The Pharisees also knew Psalm 100, verse 3, know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Jesus continued the story, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. The story consists of four parts or four metaphors. Lost describes our condition without God, away from the shepherd. The Pharisees didn't identify with the lost sheep. They considered themselves to be better, the the worthy, the found. It's one reason that they had no sympathy for for the kind of people that Jesus hung out with. Those who are truly lost, not them. What does it mean to be lost? for? For some, it's the lostness that comes of having no loving relationship with God. For others, it's because you've wandered away from the shepherd. You've gone your own way. It's left you alone and vulnerable. Others of you have lost your sense of direction. You don't know where your life is heading or or how your current circumstances could possibly be a part of God's greater plan. So there's the lostness of not being loved. You don't feel special to anyone. The result is the lost condition. The result of the lost condition is not loving yourself. And for some... It's the lost feeling of having failed. You need forgiveness and a new beginning. You feel unaccepted and unacceptable. You feel lost because of what you have said or what you've done. See, everyone has felt the hurt of broken relationships, cutting words, and and sickening silence that leaves you hurting and cut off. And then there's the lostness of the Pharisee when you don't even know that you're lost. The evidence of that is a lack of compassion to those who are spiritually lost. When you become insensitive to the pain of the people who need Jesus, when your attitude towards them is criticism and judgmentalism, then you need a loving Savior, the good shepherd, to find you and to bring you back. You're as lost or more lost than the ones who are lost. Regardless of of how you identify with the lost sheep, Jesus is searching for you. Search or go after describes God's intensity in in that search. Until he finds, speaks of God's persistence in reaching out in love and not quitting and never giving up. The, The word joy illustrates God's response when he finds us. When we respond to his love. But in the case of the Pharisees, just in case the Pharisees missed the point of the story, Jesus explained, I tell you in the same way that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. In that moment, the crowd grew silent. If there had been any doubt in their minds, they now understood exactly what Jesus was talking about. See, the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus for talking to lost people. The very thing that makes heaven rejoice. The Pharisees had a saying, There is joy before God when those who provoke him perish from the world. Man, what a horrible and unfeeling attitude, and what a massive difference from what Jesus' statement, that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You see, that's what God is like. That's how he relates to a lost person and to the lost dimensions of your life. Then in case the audience still didn't understand, Jesus told another story, one which revolves around the same themes, lost, search, find, and joy. Verse 8, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Now, because we're Americans, losing a coin doesn't mean anything at all. At most, it's 25 cents or, or maybe a dollar if you can actually find one of those things. I've heard about them, um, but you don't just carry around dollar coins. You see, in the woman's case, that missing coin would have been equal to one day's worth of pay. If you make minimum wage, that would be about $75. And all of a sudden, you understand the search. If you lose $75, you're going to be late to work looking for it, aren't you? You're going to search until you find it. Now, I've got a tack. That is very special to me. Now, for those of you who don't know what a tie tack is, um, it's a little piece of jewelry um, that has a pointy thing, like a needle that goes through it. It clips through the tie. It holds it to your shirt so that if you're walking around or the wind's blowing, it doesn't, like, wrap around you. And so I have a special tie tack that my mother gave me um, about 20 years ago. Um, It's not worth a lot, but it's got a lot of sentimental value to me. Um, it has it, it has gold nuggets with a diamond in the center of it, and that diamond was from one of my grandmother's rings that she had, and she had just passed away the year before. Um, it wasn't worth a ton, but it's priceless to me, and since Tina and I have been married, we have kept it in her jewelry box, right? Because of a man, I don't have a jewelry box, and so we just put it in hers. Five years ago, we moved um, to Onalaska, Texas, and When we had finished unpacking, we couldn't find the TITAC. Man, we looked everywhere. We searched and we searched and we searched, and it was nowhere to be found. We had no luck looking for it. I was heartbroken. Not because it cost a lot, but because it meant a lot. Two years later, when we moved to Mejia, We found a box at the house that we hadn't unpacked yet. And we unpacked it, and at the very bottom of the box was a very small cardboard jewelry box. Didn't have a clue what was in it, because we packed all Tina's stuff, and we just left it in the jewelry box and taped it shut. So we opened it up. You know what we found? My tie tack. For two years, it had been lost. I was so excited. I was so excited to find what was lost had now been found. You see, the woman in the story lost a coin. It was a lot of money. And the search wasn't easy. She couldn't offer a reward to get people to come help her look. Her home wasn't much bigger than this rectangle right here. was a dirt floor that had straw on top of it. It probably didn't have a window, just a low door that didn't let in very much light. And so she lit a lamp and she began to search for her coin. It was almost literally like searching for a needle in a haystack. And I, I tried to to think of a way to illustrate this search. And I came up with a small idea. Now, this box here is filled with about 300 washers in one quarter. I need one person to help me real quick. Come on, Johnny. Now, in here is one quarter if you can find the quarter in 10 seconds I'm going to give you $5 now listen this isn't one of those Pastor Jason's being nice and she's going to get the $5 anyways you got to find the quarter to get the money but you only got 10 seconds do you think you can do it? maybe and here's the problem You got to do it from here. No, I'm joking. I won't do that to you. All right. Yeah, you can look you want. Are you ready? Go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. I want the quarter. Where's the quarter? Oh, it's not there. Your time's up. You didn't say zero. Zero. You had like 20 seconds, and you still didn't find it. How hard was that? Pretty hard, huh? Awesome. Thank you. Now, that's about how impossible the search would have been. The woman carefully swept, and she sifted through the dirt in the straw looking for the coin. You see, not finding it wasn't an option. It was a necessity. And she must have looked for hours. And Jesus continued the story, and when she found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice for me, for I have found my lost coin. The stories both start the same way. Something important was lost. And in both stories, in an all-out, passionate, determined search. And both stories in the same way with joy. Celebrating and rejoicing Because the lost has been found. And then, just to make sure that his audience got the point again, Jesus said, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of of the angels over one sinner who repents. Now, back to... My original question. With all of the billions of people around the world. With all of the billions all around the world. Does he really care about one person? Does he care about you? How much does he care about you? The two stories illustrate the individualized and caring love and concern of God. In the same way that the shepherd searched for one lost sheep and the woman searched for one lost coin, God is searching for you. You see, relationship with you is God's top priority. If you've lost your Sense of direction and purpose, you can find it again in Jesus. He still has a plan for your life. Listen, if you don't feel special to anyone and you struggle to see your worth and your value, if you feel unaccepted and unacceptable, know this that you have incredible meaning, value, and worth to God. You are God's priority. If you've failed and you need forgiveness, if you need a fresh start, a new beginning, you can find that fresh start in Jesus. If you're lost, meaning that you've got no relationship with God, listen, he is searching for you. You might be worried, what does God think after all that I've done? How is he going to punish me? Listen, God's priority is not to punish you. He just wants to find you. And when that happens, Scripture says, all of heaven rejoices. And you see, that's how we're going to respond to. Not with lectures and judgment, but with love. Not with Punishment or rejection, but with celebration and great joy. Would you bow your heads with me? Today, you would say, Pastor Jason, I am in one of those categories of being lost. Maybe you currently don't have a relationship with God. Maybe at one time you used to have a relationship with God, but you've you, you've wandered away from Him. You've walked away. You, you've gone your own way. You've done your own thing. Maybe you've lost your sense of direction. Maybe you feel lost because you don't feel loved. And so since you don't feel loved, you don't love yourself. And some of you in here have that lost feeling of failure. You need forgiveness and a new beginning. You feel unaccepted and unacceptable because of your past. Listen, today... God has been seeking you and wants you to come home. Today, if you'd say, Pastor Jason, that's me, would you pray with me? If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you are? I see your hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, would you do me a favor? If you just raised your hand. Would you just stand right there where you are? Our goal isn't to embarrass you. But we want to pray with you. Maybe you didn't raise your hand and you should have. Just stand right where you are. If there's somebody near you that's standing, would you just put your, your, your hand on their shoulder? Or if, if you know them, throw an arm around their neck. We're going to pray. And and as we pray, the people that are standing with you are going to pray with you. You can listen to my prayer. You can listen to their prayer. It doesn't matter. Um, There's not one that's better than the other. But we just want to pray for you right now. That as you come home, as you find a sense of foundness, that it would resonate into all areas of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Begin to pray out loud. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for these men and women that their hands. God, maybe even the ones that didn't stand, but, but God, those who are standing right now, God, that have said that they need a new start, a fresh start, a new beginning. God, some of them coming to a relationship with you for the first time. Maybe some of them, God, coming back for the first time in a long time. God, we pray right now, God, that they would feel your forgiveness. God, in areas in their own life when they can't forgive themselves, God, we pray that they would feel your forgiveness. God, we pray that you would speak to them. God, that they would know you're real, that they would know your presence. God, and from this point forward, God, that they would be guided by your Spirit. God, that they would be like Jesus and doing only the things and saying the things that we see and hear our Father doing and saying. God, I pray that today is a new day in their life. God, a day that they can look back on and go, that was the day that I gave my heart back to Jesus. That was the day that I received forgiveness. That was the day when I started all over. God, we thank you for it.